So this morning we have a guest speaker. His name is uh, Rob McFadden. Many of you probably know him from around the community. Uh, he's going to be speaking with us each Sunday this month up to Christmas. So without further ado, Rob, I'd ask you to come and share your message this morning. Well, good morning, and uh, I want to th thank you. Yes, you can say good morning, yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come and worship with you. I'm very thankful for that today. I encourage you now, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to me to Genesis chapter 1. You might be asking, what has this got to do with Christmas? But I, I hope you'll see that there is some connection here uh, today. But before we do, let's uh, come before our God. Father, we come before you now. We confess our sins. We ask, O oh God, that you would cleanse us through the power and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray today that you will continue to be honored here amongst us, and indeed you will be glorified in our hearts, in our relationships with one another, in our praise, in our giving. Help us, O oh God. Now, Lord, we pray that you will remove the distractions of our heart, the tiredness of our minds, and cause, O oh God, that we will hear you speak to us through your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here. And we ask, O oh God, that you would fill us now. Fill us with yourself. Draw our hearts and attentions uh, totally totally towards yourself, and we will give you thanks. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you turn with me to Genesis 1, we'll begin reading. We'll read the whole chapter. As I read, uh, I'm going to pause, and when I pause, I would like you to say, it was good, okay? I'm trying to draw attention to how God saw his creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was... And God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it... And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that... And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in, an, in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw. And God said, let us make man. In our image, after our likeness, and let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm going to finish this, but as we finish these verses, I've never given much thought to this, but as God is creating this world, I see him with a smile on his face. He is absolutely delighting in what he is making. Okay? It's a different scene. Often, I've always thought of God as very stern and... Uh, angry at our sins, which are true. Uh, he is a God of justice, but he's a God of mercy and love. But I see him here as a God of delight, who delights in what he's making. Verse 28. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was uh, awesome. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, in chapter 2, we have a more microscopic look at how God created man and woman. And uh, God saying in verse 18 of chapter 2, it is not good that man should be alone. And God allows or creates a woman from him to be his companion. And then in chapter 3, after in chapter 2, you hear God's one commandment that he forbids them to do, to eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, we all know that they fall to the deception of the devil uh, Satan, and uh, they eat of that fruit, and God finds them out, and uh, he pronounces judgment on the serpent, and in verse 15, which is our Christmas verse, it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Amen. I love Christmas. I hope all of you do. I don't, you know, we hear the bah humbugs uh, uh, from people on, our, on TV and so forth. Uh, maybe even some of the people you meet. But for most, most people, I believe this is a special time of year. And uh, a time where you get a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling down in your heart and mind uh, as you meet people, uh, mainly because of uh, people seem to be more thoughtful and caring during this time of year, for which I am thankful. But what I would like us all to do as we work through this Advent season, I would like you to focus on what Advent means from God's perspective. How it reflects upon God and how it shows the beauty and glory of God. Indeed, the glory of God is most displayed, perfectly displayed in his Son, Jesus Christ, born as a man and himself God. One of the re main reasons for the coming of baby Jesus is to display the glory, the greatness, or you might want to say the inner beauty of God. 
Not a physical beauty, because God is spirit, but there's absolute inner beauty, his mind, his character, who he is. God is absolutely beautiful. He is glorious. And we need to, I hope, and we can, this Christmas, worship God as a result of seeing how great and glorious he is, that we will worship God, we will sing unto the Lord, we will praise the Lord in a greater heartfelt sense, knowing who he is, what he's done for us, how great he is. In John chapter 4, Jesus said this, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice what he says here next. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is actually seeking for people to worship him. Jesus says in spirit and truth. In other words, not just lip service, but in truth and uh, through the Holy Spirit. He wants you not to worship him. Not just ritually, not just as I did at one point uh, when we were in Israel, we went up to the Western Wall where many of the Jews will come, the Wailing Wall, and they will pray. It needs to be more than that. It's not about where you're doing it, but it is from where inside you it's coming. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. But God is seeking that. According to Jesus, God wants people to worship him. He seeks that. And I remember hearing this for the first time. I was kind of blown away. That, that doesn't, doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like something I would want to say about myself, that I'm seeking. But I have to remember, I'm not God. (laughs) He is perfect in everything in himself. Our Father, our God, our Father, is actually at work to bring about a people who will worship him. And he does that to bring himself glory. That is God's intention, and I would argue that that is God's chief design for himself, is to seek his own glory. That's his chief goal. If we were to align our lives, how we live, what we do, If we would align our thinking with God's desire for his own self, it would transform our lives. They would become squarely in the will of God. This is God's most central will, his own glorification. You might think that that is an odd statement. But what God created mankind to do was to glorify God and worship and glory in God. 
When a large group of theologians in the 17th century came together, uh, they came together with the express purpose to lay out in a confession called the Westminster Confession to lay out before them what uh, the Bible taught concerning what God wants. And they came up with this. They said that the chief end of man of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, mankind was created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is a purpose of life. Years ago, when I was doing youth work, a young fellow came up to me and said, well, what is the purpose of life? And I, I was like a deer in the headlights. I just, I had no word for him. And this is one of the most basic questions and that all of us should have within our hearts. What is the purpose of life? And that is to glorify God. We will find our fulfillment and joy in our lives as our lives glorify him. This includes being awed by who he is, how great he is in in what he has done. Now, in order, this is why I read Genesis 1. Important that we go back and see God at the beginning, how God designed his creation. He's taking great pleasure in it. Before he created, he is perfectly happy within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect community, perfect love, perfect unity amongst each other. They needed nothing, but God in his wisdom decided for his own glory to create a universe, to create an earth, and to create man in his own image. And when we read it, we kept hearing, and it was good. That was God's self-proclaimed assessment of his own creation. It was good. I see him smile. He took joy in everything he made, and it brought him glory. When I look at creation, and I see the majesty of the mountains, we were out this year in Denver, and there's a spot, and I forget the name of that mountain, but there's a spot when you get close to the very peak, and you look out, and you see this huge plateau, and you see the mountains all over, jagged peaks, all snow in it. It was awesome. When I look at creation, I see God's mind. I see the beauty of his mind. And when we look at the brilliant colors in birds and flowers and the beauty of forests and lakes, different kinds of animals and how they function and intertwine with one another, our sunsets in this type part of the world, when you see some of our sunsets here, the, the red skies, that is beautiful. But it reflects upon the one who made it. And that's our God, our Father. 
What a fantastic mind God has. Have you ever thought of that? As you think about it, he had a blank page. And he goes about to create this beautiful masterpiece that we call creation. God is awesome. But the greatest of all the things that God created was mankind. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> but it is because, not because I, we, I feel about myself or I feel about the rest of mankind, that you are just the absolute greatest. No, it's because we bear his image, the very image of God. Nothing in all creation is given that but us, male and female, created in the image of God. And another, the responsibility then of that is when creation looks at us, including the angels, God should be most glorified in us. Because we bear his image. We're greater than the angels. It's an amazing thought. Now, is God wrong to be so concerned about his own glory? Unlike us seeking, uh, when we seek our own glory, it's usually at the expense of someone else. But not God. When God seeks his own glory, man is exalted. He gives Adam and Eve dominion over the face of the earth. He gives them everything. And when it's, they were kings. When it says dominion, that means they were kings on the earth. God is not selfishly holding on to his power and not sharing any of that. He is giving it to something that he and us who he has created. When God does stuff for his own glory, it's never at the expense of mankind. Never. All of what he does to glorify himself will lift us up. And that is what he did at creation. In creation, he shows nothing but love and care. And he's lifting these two up, Adam. And, uh, Adam is alone. He looks at Adam. He says, not good that he's alone. He needs a companion. I mean, there's just a total sense of love and care and God wanting to bless mankind, wanting to, to lift him up, to exalt him in the eyes of all creation. The wonderful thought. When you put all of that together, when you think of God doing that, when he's not obliged to do anything, you can see some of the glory of his mind. But then Adam and Eve fell. They sinned, and they fell to the temptation 
that God was withholding from them good and greatness. He said to, the devil said to Eve, ye shall be as gods. It wasn't enough that they were created in the very image of God, lifted above all other creation. They fell to the temptation that God was withholding from them something that would make them great. Now, that must have been a supreme slap in the face to God. He had given them everything. He had exalted them above all things. He had showed his love and care towards them. Everything was provided for them. The most beautiful place. No sin, no problems, perfect harmony. Even with the animals. He's there naming them. I, I, I mean, it's a wonderful picture. And yet, the devil deceived Adam and Eve and they fell. The cost of dishonoring God is what their sin is. It's a dishonor to God. It's misrepresenting God as a God who would not care and love for them, love them. The cost of that is horrendous. Death and disease, fighting, wars, Conflict in relationships, conflict in creation itself, all suffering stems from this, this moment. And we have been suffering since. But this is where baby Jesus comes in. God is still committed to his glory and the glory to be displayed in man and in creation. He has not given up on that, and he won't. He will restore creation and mankind to glory, to bring him glory. God grants them the mercy of the promise of a child, a child who would come, who would crush the serpent's head. In this crushing of the serpent's head is a, a picture of the sign of God beginning at this moment in time. Setting the wheel in motion, if you'd like to put it that way, where his son comes and begins the restoration. First, by being sinless and by dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the dead. It is Jesus who brings and will bring the restoration of God's glory in mankind and in all creation. He is the new, new beginning it says this about him in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What God wanted in Adam, 
Adam's sin defaced, but Jesus Christ as man and God has come and has paid the price to begin the restoration of creation and mankind. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to point out here Romans chapter 8, and we'll be closing in, closing on this. Romans chapter 8, reading at verse 18. This is speaking, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Rome, speaking of the future glory that is going to be revealed in us. A future glory, a glory that at that moment in these believers' lives, indicating, reading into the text here, but there's, he's talking about suffering. And Christians were suffering. How can the people who bear the very image of God, who bear and have within them, Jesus Christ the Lord, how can they be suffering? And this is what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's that word glory, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He's speaking as if creation is looking at mankind, and he's going to here talk about groaning of the creation. It's like they're, uh, it's waiting for this time, this time when Jesus returns. We talk about in Advent, we talk about looking back at the birth of Christ, but Advent was also a looking forward to his return when he will restore all creation, that it glorifies God. So all creation with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is when we come back with Jesus Christ. There's a day coming when Jesus will return. And when he returns, we will return with him. Those of us who believe and those of us who believe will be glorified with him. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when you'll stop groaning. As you get older, you do more groaning. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> You're like me, likely. It hurts. Muscles hurt uh, when you do a lot of work. And it gets more and more difficult. There's a sense of groaning. But there's also this groaning that we see in mankind, in the creation itself. And in mankind, we see people sick. We've been, we prayed here for a number of people here today. 
people that you wouldn't want to have illness, people that you wouldn't want sick at all, people that you don't want to have cancer, and very possibly great Christian people. There's that sense that we're growing. And as we look out into the world and we see the persecution of the church and so many, many in the rest of the world who are suffering for Christ. This is not right. This is a, this is a sign that our world is upside down. It's wrong. And we need it to change. And Christmas sets into motion the birth of Jesus Christ sets into motion that that is going to end. There's coming a day when mankind again, both women and men, probably children, I'm not sure how that's all going to work out in the final, but that we will all be on display to God and to the angels and to all creation And when they look at us, they will see the very glory of God. Is that not amazing? Oh, yes, it is. Look forward to that day. We wait with eager anticipation. That's a good thing. It's a great hope, as one of your Advent candles say. I ask God to bless his heart, his word to our hearts that we will rejoice that the coming of baby Jesus sets in motion the beginning of God going to restore this creation back to himself in full glory and majesty. As great as it is now, it's going to be so much greater. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for baby Jesus. Thank you for what he has done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you sent, Father, that you sent your Son, fully man, fully God, to suffer and die in our place, that you might restore all creation, including those who have faith in you, to glory. We look forward to that day. Build and strengthen this hope in all of your children. In Jesus' name, amen.